So, nice to meet with you all. And uh, as I understand it, a number of the districts here are in, uh, just finishing some teacher training to being yogis and yoginis. And um, so you're familiar with Bhagavad Gita, it must have been part of the training, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I'm going to speak a little bit about Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> and of course, as you know, some of you may have seen my, my edition, my commentary. <coughs> the book, of course, has been <coughs> excuse me, rendered in English and other languages by many people over, over the centuries, really. And, and I think that speaks to the nature of the text, its depth and, uh, and, and significance, importance, kind of a book that uh, speaks about things that, uh, that, don't, that don't change, like ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a side of us that changes all the time. <laughs> and that's different from what I refer to when I use the term self. So, it's a relevant text, is what I mean to say. And um, within Hinduism, there are many different, uh, as you know, faces of the Godhead. And Krishna is the face and the voice that we find in, uh, in Bhagavad Gita. And uh, the Gita is the most celebrated and widely circulated text and words of God, if you will, from the from the East. And so it's one of the reasons, its popularity, if you will, that we or others in Hinduism and the yoga world make the case for the robustness, if you will, of Krishna in comparison to different faces of the Godhead. Indeed, he's thought to perhaps embody the heart of the divinity rather than the head like Buddha and so forth. Um, So it's a very um, heartfelt speech, wise speech, but a speech that's wise with regard to the pursuit of love. It's often said that love knows no reason, and there's truth to that. But that doesn't mean that there isn't wise love. In an ordinary sense, Love knows no reason and it can be problematic. Some of you may have children. We have all been children. Um, <laughs> and so we know about that, that we may be infatuated and uh, reason may go out the door and we will, might have wished we had reasoned a little better about our previous relationship, for example. Um, 
So this is the kind of lower end that loves knows no reason, and it it can be problematic. On the higher end, we hope that there's something that uh, transcends the limits of reason. And that's not unreasonable to, uh, to hope, to expect. Reason is not a conclusive uh, arbitrator, really. You can even reason that uh, with logic that two and two is not four. It's, it's possible. I won't do it for it today, but uh, just to underscore the point. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, in a general sense, we think of reason. We think of the head, and and uh, the heart is another thing that, it's, uh, in one sense, more important than the heart. So there's a way, and McGee speaks about this, I believe, of exercising our head in such a way that our heart becomes softer. That we become more caring, more loving, and we enter into a wise kind of love that also transcends reason. On the other end, love trumped reason, but it was a problem. When we look at it from a spiritual context, then love trumps reason, but uh, it's supported by reason. Reason becomes most uh, beautiful when it becomes a, an attendant to, to, to faith, to uh, the pursuit of uh, transcendence and higher self. So, <clears throat> a loving book, Bhagavad Gita, uh, spoken by the, the heart of divinity and comes out in different places to different extents. That said, um, it's a complex text, so about 700 some uh, verses in Sanskrit, and so, again, many different explanations over the centuries. But I think it's uh, fair to say, and pretty much universally accepted by all the commentators, translators, and so forth, that there are three basic uh, themes of the Gita. Action, we could say uh, knowledge, and love. So, in Sanskrit, karma, jnana, and bhakti. And all this in the context of yoga. Everything's a yoga in the Gita. So I like to speak about these three ideas and the universality uh, of the concepts of karma, jnana, and bhakti. And uh, for our purposes, it, it may be useful to render them as having, knowing, and loving. Having. Karma means action. But I'm rendering here having. Because it refers to action that we engage in 
for the purpose of acquisition. There is an idea that by acquiring, we will become more, or we will be all that we can be. It's popular now in the political uh, spectrum to uh, complain about the, those who have and those who have not, the haves and the have-nots. And apparently, 99% of us have not, you know, comparatively, to the 1% that has. And uh, while it's an interesting argument, and, and there's some, certainly some, some economic truth to that, and it's problematic, um, no doubt, the Gita's perspective seeks to take it a little further and, uh, and say that even those who have, have not. That the sense of being or existence that is derived from or tied to having is a very vacuous and empty sense of being when in fact we can't keep anything. Hmm? For example, it's said in common English parlance that things are here today and gone uh, tomorrow. Could be sooner than that. Hmm? So, the having idea is a very, uh, as I say, vacuous sense of being. There is an I that is tied to our sense of my. I am my. And that I is as false as the claims of my are that we cannot maintain as things that are ours for the moment pass in due course and become someone else's. The world, in other words, of, of things is always in, in flux. We live, I live among other places, one of my options is in Northern California amidst the, the Red Hood, Redwoods, big California redwoods, and it's it's very um, uh, it's profound to walk amongst them and and feel that you're not the subject. Feel more like you're the object (laughs) than than the subject, Um, and to think of how many people have laid claim over the land. As they travel their boat and and watch it change hands again and again and again and so forth. So um, again, this sense of I that you're to a large extent operating as if it were us is very much tied to a sense of having, owning, and the idea that by acquisition, by adding on. I'll either become more or I'll become all well, that I could possibly be. There's kind of an appetizer, if you will, that, that nature offers us, that um, the carrot keeps us moving. You just add a little something more, just change the picture a little bit, then it, it, it will be perfect. 
problem, of course, with a meal of appetizers is that it results in indigestion. <laughs> so uh, this idea, this karmic realm, it's, uh, it's problematic. There's um, movement, but it's obligatory because I've, to use a biblical reference, I've, I've sown and so now I have to reap. I have to pay. I, I, I owe, so off to work I go. Something like that. We, uh, you know, we see this practically in, in everyday life. And we, we buy a house and uh, we borrow money, for example, and um, we sign a paper and we owe a lot more money than we've, than we've, we've borrowed. Right. Have you read the fine print? So the fine, this is an example, but the fine print of the world, so to speak, is that uh, it's common sense that by taking, you uh, you owe. And taking is not a particularly, uh, uh, to be a taker is not particularly a beautiful uh, idea. Um, a fellow commented in uh, after I had given a discourse recently along these these lines and were themes, and he said, "Well, what about?" He kind of went back to the kind of the political spectrum. What about the multinational corporations and they this and they that and and so forth? And I said to him that what you have to understand is you are they. You are they also on some level. On some level, we are all they. As much as we remain identified, the sense of I is derived from false sense of mine. It's a very small word, my, but it's a big problem, huge problem. I is a very small word. It's the most used word in any language. I in English is the most used word, and it's the one that we know the least about. We understand the least. So there's an I. We're talking a little bit about it. It's derived from a sense of of my and. We really don't owe nothing, and nothing really uh, belongs to us. In you know, in an enduring sense, and we do sense that life is enduring, or that it should be enduring. Hmm? Uh, the whole world, whether it be uh, moving in some quarters, as this in a, in a spiritual direction, or in the context of a spiritual uh, worldview or even a materialistic worldview. Uh, in either case, there's a, a sense that we should be able to live forever. We, the richest people in Silicon Valley, I read an article recently, are spending a good portion of their money on, on uh, technological approaches to living forever, stopping the aging and so forth. Uh, 
It's a very, of course, very, very difficult. Uh, <laughs> you could slip on a in the shower, right? <laughs> and uh, make your, your, your demise. Um, it's said in the Bhagavad, the beautiful book that is the theological sequel to the Gita, very poetically, Ayur, you know, Ayurved. Hmm? So Ayur means life. Ayurved means like the life science, the medical science of the of the uh, sacred texts of the Hindus. So the word is invoked here. It means like Ayur Harati. Harati means uh, to to steal, to take away. The name in the Hari Krishna mantra, Hari, it means the same thing. It's the name for Krishna. He's a thief. He said that thieves don't care for high walls and locked doors, and that's exactly what we've erected around our hearts. In the form of his name, he goes there anyway. And does his work, so we need to be careful <laughs> not to hear that. That name could uh, change your life. So, but anyway, Ayurharati. The rising and setting of the sun. The rising, with the rising and the setting of the sun, Ayurharati Vaipumsam. means here, everyone. With the rising and the setting of the sun, everyone's sense of I is being taken away. May work against it consciously or unconsciously, but everyone is striving to live forever. Some people reason that you can't; still they try. Some people reason that you can. Who's more reasonable? <laughs> Both try. So there's a sense, I want to say, in human society that arises that um, leads us to believe that there is more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. There's more to life that means than, than things and thoughts, even. Most of our thoughts are derived from attachment to things. They're about as useful as the things hmm, that don't serve our purpose of making us whole, no matter how many of them we acquire. It said that the best things in life are not things. <laughs> that we should go within or go without. Now, this isn't for everybody. Everybody's not going to be able to digest this kind of meal, but this, of course, with what yoga is about. We might be influenced by the dominant themes of the world to question our participation in yoga in any deeper sense than a commercial sense, for example, or for, for an improvement, for acquisition, even. But the Gita, of course, tried to find its way in a lot of yoga circles, and Krishna's trying to make a point there that it's really about something else, turning in an entirely different direction. 
and in the direction which universally humans feel in a, in a direction in pursuit of, I should say, with that which humans universally feel is out there more, more than what meets the eye and the mind. I've given an example before worth invoking. We find in other species of life that they live within certain confines. Birds fly high in the sky. They don't, they wouldn't appear, think about diving to the bottom of the ocean. The fish at the bottom of the ocean don't bother about trying to fly like birds in the sky. Now, we as humans, we try to do everything that every other species does. You follow me? We, we create submarines and rockets to go to the bottom of the ocean, to, to the top of the sky, and, and so forth. What is that about from the point of view of the Gita? What is that? It's peculiar. We're peculiar in that way. From the Gita's perspective, there's something that's happening in human life that doesn't happen in other species' life. And that is that a question arises of why, meaning, purpose, value, in a sense, as I said earlier, that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. This arises in human society. The Gita says, there is. It's you. You are more than a thought and a thing. And to experience that, you have to look in a different way and go in a different direction than, than the call of nature, of the wild, let us say. And you need to answer the how questions of life. How to eat, how to sleep, how to have a relationship, how to protect myself. These questions have to be answered in the context of answering a bigger question. And because we don't pursue those questions sufficiently in the context of pursuing the larger question. We don't pursue the how questions in the context of pursuing the why question, which is of a different category. Therefore, humans have trouble figuring out things that animals and birds and aquatics don't seem to have a problem. They don't have a problem what to eat, how to have a relationship. It's all worked out. <laughs> right? How to protect yourself. Each species got something built in hmm, to a point, right? To a point. We can only do these things to a point. Ayurhati Vaipunsam, Uddhyanastam Chayanasur. The rise and the sun are very beautiful, but to the eye, hmm, there's a deeper beauty in, 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 in what this verse is saying. It's killing you in terms of who you think you are. The more that you feel that you are, but looking for it in the wrong place. Hmm? Through acquisition. 
Okay. Through taking. You cannot become more by taking. It's kind of backward, counterintuitive. You cannot become more by addition, by subtraction. Hmm? <laughs> That's rather counterintuitive. So, but it's our common experience in everyday life that by giving, we become bigger. We feel bigger and better with less. We don't have something to hold up and show people, see, I got this, I gave. Because as, of course, as much as we attach getting to our giving is as little as we're actually giving and therefore not experiencing the, again, counterintuitive idea that in this common English, uh, I, well, universal idea that giving is the getting. Hmm? It means life is not, doesn't proceed uh, in terms of fulfillment, meaning and purpose by logic alone. Hmm? There's a mis- mystery to it. And giving is the, is the getting. That's mysterious. It happens all the time, so it, it seems common in, in a sense, but it's actually quite mystical. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a secret of life. We need to hone that idea, that concept. Mm-hmm. This is what yoga is about. It seeks to situate us in a sense of being that is one of, of knowing that's wise. We're talking about having and the vacuous sense of being that derives from the need to have. How small that self is. Not how small, as how unbecoming it is. On some level, as much as we identify with things and thoughts in relation to things, hmm? it means mind is an interesting concept in yoga. It can work as the friend, enemy, or the friend of the self. Before yoga, to harness, to harness the mind. They had it to work. It's a tool. It can work for us. If we don't understand it, it can work very much against us. There was a man who robbed the bank in the village. He came out of the bank and he announced, Thief! Someone has robbed the bank. You understand? This is the mind. Hmm? Everybody, which way did he go? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hmm? Very insidious. Hmm? So, <laughs> to, to harness that mind, this is central to yoga, and let it work for us. Most of our thoughts, again, are preoccupied with, with things. Because we're living with a sense of I, 
that's derived from our sense of my, and it's a very vacuous and empty sense of I that cannot be maintained. And the rising and the setting of the sun are telling us that every day. I mean, what? You couldn't get a bigger billboard or ad coming in on your, you know, computer trying to get your attention than the rising and the setting of the sun. Just how the rishis, how the geek and this is bothering the rishis looked at the world and it spoke to them. Rising and setting of the sun. And it's very beautiful, but what is the meaning? What is what is nature saying? Hmm? Nature is saying to us that the more that you sense that you are, that, that, that more than what meets the eye and the mind is not going to be derived from, from me, or to speak of exploiting me. Hmm? I can answer, nature says, the how questions. Look at all the other species of life. They all have bodies in which the, these questions are answered, right? How to have a relationship is not a problem for, for dogs. Right? It's a huge problem for us. <laughs> How to eat, what to eat, right? How to sleep, how to protect yourself. We blow ourselves up in the, in the pursuit of uh, protection, nuclear protection, for example. So this is a huge problem for us. We are a, a more complex species, but why these problems are solved readily by less complex forms of life, and for us, they, they it, it elude us to some extent. They preoccupy us. Hmm? Because the answer is, nature is saying to us, that's not you have a why question. That's not, I don't have an answer for why. I can push you in the direction where you can find it, answer the why. Hmm? In the direction of yourself and its source. Hmm? Why is a question of value, of meaning, of purpose? That derives from consciousness. Hmm? Things only have purpose really in relation to consciousness. This is only a yoga studio (laughs) from a certain perspective, right? Matter has no perspective on it. Hmm? We have a perspective on it. And consciousness is there in all species of life. There's a, the Gita has a pan-psychic perspective on consciousness. That consciousness exists everywhere. I recently read an article that, uh, a scientific article in which they determined that, that insects, I think they were studying bees, have egos. Mm-hmm. That they're conscious on some of this, this a decade ago, this would have been thought within the scientific community and philosophical, uh, dominant philosophical uh, community of materialistic um, reasoning, philosophy, and interpretations of scientific data as absolute lunacy. 
Hmm? In terms of understanding consciousness, we would say from the Gita's perspective, much of the study of consciousness doesn't understand consciousness in terms of how it's being spoken of in the Gita. Hmm? It's not that, for example, I consciousness is perception that's an aspect of consciousness perception Hmm. the light is luminous it may also as a result illumine other things Hmm. that illumination of other things would be like awareness or perception but the inherent luminosity hmm, of the light is somehow more than just lightage, how it casts light on things that are not luminous. So the consciousness self, the Atma, from the Gita's perspective, is, um, yeah, I mean, if you unscrew the light bulb, the light will go out, see? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like that. So, we have a body, we have a mind, and from the Gita's perspective, mind is a real thing. It's not just part of the brain. It's a real thing. There's a subtle form of matter. There's a gross form of matter. There's physical and psychic matter. And then there's the self. The psychic matter is kind of in between consciousness proper and the physical world. And therefore it can be used, as I said, as yoga explains, mind as a tool to help bring out the self. Hmm? Or it can be used to get the better of us, so to speak, and just identify us with things which makes us a little mean, because there's only so many things, and we're going to be competing for them on some level. So we are the they that we complain about, maybe on a lower level. The Gita seeks to to free us from this taking. It wants to make us like its author, a lover. Right? He said Krishna is a lover. He wants to make us a lover. The first le- lesson in loving is it's not it, taking is the opposite of that. If love is about giving, not about taking. I'm thinking that I have become more by taking. I feel that I should be more. I feel this way because what's happening in human life that makes it different than other less complex forms of life is that consciousness that's pervasive everywhere. Hmm? is in the human form able to come more to the surface than in the honeybee form the ant form I'll give you an example if I drive a Volkswagen and you drive a BMW we can both step on the gas but your car is going to go faster than mine it doesn't make your ability to step on the gas any so that you're a better gas peddler than I am. But the vehicle is limiting 
our ability, in my case, the Volkswagen, to express myself in terms of speed. If we were to get out of the car, you know, we'd walk at about the same pace with our two feet. So, consciousness is not dependent on matter, but in some respects it's shaped by matter in terms of its ability to express itself. This is the idea. So if you so if you've got a bee's body, consciousness is there, but it's going to express itself in a, in a limited way compared to human life where the very question of why, which is about meaning, purpose, which is what consciousness is all about, arises. Hmm? You understand? So why am I? What is the, what is the meaning? This is a, a question. This is the self asking about itself. Now, if we don't have the technology, the method, the system, process for pursuing that question, like yoga, and, 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 and if, we'll, if you will go inquiring within, then we inquire without. And we feel that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind, and so as humans, we try to do everything that every other species does. We try to fly high in the sky, we try to go to the bottom of the ocean. We're living, we're living, really, all of us, we're living for the perfection, in one sense, that we are, without knowing ourselves, identifying with the false sense of I, based on the my, that I am man, woman, uh, uh, Catholic, Hindu, um, one ethnicity or another. These are all derived senses of I, my country, my race, my um, whatever it may be, my family against me and her, and then me against the world, and it all comes down to <laughs> something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are all living despite these identifications we're all living for the perfection in one sense that we are that's why we you know in the movies they live happily ever after in sports you're watching just for the for that moment that just goes beyond the normal and in the last minute, they turned around and they won, and and, that, and we relish that for a week, you know, whatever. And this is, or, you know, it didn't even hit the rim; it just went in. You see, it could happen from half court. It's possible. Hmm? You understand? We're actually unconsciously, in a sense, living for the perfection that we are actually a unit of. Hmm? And looking for it in the wrong place. You know, the Olympics just passed. So somebody by one tenth of a second goes faster. And it's like, you know, to be celebrated. It's a gold medal. It's a golden pin. So we are all looking for this uh, more. This, uh, that, 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 that the very self is a unit of and in human life 
that's coming to the fore, to the front, and is asking in a quiet voice about itself. Hmm? The world is loud, though, especially today, calling us in a, in a materialistic direction. Sangha, we should hold hands, we should come together. These are valuable ideas. They've been around for a long, long time, but they're, they tend to be in the background. Mm-hmm. The world is called, we've just come to human life from animality, from the perspective of transmigration, the need to reincarnation. Mm-hmm. As we plug into the world, there's a response from the world. If I'm attached to things, and this thing, this body, transforms in what we call death, I, the self, am going to find myself in another arrangement of things. That's, that's what I'm identified with. I'm in the realm, identified with the realm where things are here today and gone tomorrow. They're constantly changing. Because something endures for a little bit longer, we think it's permanent. Hmm? Like our waking self, comparison to the dream experience. Hmm? We have to look a little further. <laughs> if that's much of a dream. Hmm? So you don't go for waking up from that. Hmm? It's a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare where I'm really a somewhat unbecoming. A sense of self that's a, a taker. I'm a hunter. And as a result, I'm being hunted also. Jivoji Vasiji Vanam. It's a very Darwinian statement from the texts. One living being is food for another. That's the norm. Of course, fortunately, the text doesn't end there. It talks about how to come out from that struggle for existence, where one living being is 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 the is the hunted, other is the hunter. And one of doesn't look over his shoulder, find that he's also being hunted and so forth. Mm-hmm. To come out from that. And so the Gita weighs in very heavily on the idea of having. Mm-hmm. Again, this is what I mean by karma. Karma means action, but it means action in relation to acquisition, acquiring, and the sense of self, I, that derives from having, from taking, really, is, it's not very nice, but it's not real, so it's okay. It's not you. This is it. The Gita wants to say something very beautiful about what you are first six chapters are all about the self very flattering mm-hmm. while it's speaking about what you're not the unfortunate problem is of course I'm, I'm attached to things and the identity derived from it mm-hmm. so it's a little jarring but if we listen carefully oh, after a beautiful discourse on the nature of the self in the second chapter Krishna ends that discourse by saying what can I say Self is amazing. Some people say it's amazing. Some people think it's amazing. Some people experience that as amazing. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's you. Hmm? 
So from having to knowing, in the Gita, a very uh, gentle approach is advocated. How to wean myself from having, in the sense of I derived from that, or taking, in the sense of I derived from that, to from the ignorance that that is it's about, the suffering that it, that it, it involves. How to move from that to a a enduring sense of I and the fullness that, that involves the peace, the comfort, and so on. Hmm? Because it's it's one thing to talk about this and say, well, that sounds great. Another thing, and then to go home and what do I do now? <laughs> and and uh, I give up my things or what? You know, how do I like put that together? Um, that's when everybody kind of checks out. The ideas are beautiful, but they're not practical. <laughs> so the Gita recommends a, and it emphasizes really a a a um, kind of a gentle way of moving from our attached position to the, the letting go if you will the not taking one is taking this is karma gyan or knowledge is not taking so what's the problem the problem is I'm moving with a certain trajectory with the idea that I should avoid certain things, get away from them, and acquire other things. Unfortunately, I acquire the things, I got away from something, I acquired things, the things turn into the thing I was trying to get away from. It transformed right before my eyes, magically. I really wanted that when I got it. In time, it turned out to be something quite different. And the Gita Krishna says that attachment to, to things is the womb from which suffering is born. As happy as it gets is as sad as it gets. You can't keep it. Krishna tells Arjuna that in the Gita that let me give you the, tell you the world in a nutshell. Dukalayam. Shashvatam. He said, Dukkalayam. It's a really a place of suffering. And he says, if Arjuna says, but I like it. You know, at least some of the time. And then Krishna says, well, you can't keep it. Now, as much as you like it, the fact that you can't keep it, your liking has now become a source of suffering. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? So how 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 to move away from this uh, uh, in, in the Gita's emphasis from taking to to not taking? Knowing is not taking because why am I taking? I'm taking because I think I will become more if I acquire. But if you have knowledge that first of all you can't really acquire anything hmm? 
and there's an appearance of acquisition for a short period of time, and then it slips through your hands and, and so forth, as we've been saying. Hmm? So it's kind of magician's act, if you will. Um, but to move from the roller coaster, I want to say, of this taking, because I'm trying to avoid certain things, acquire other things, and I'm going up and down like an oceanic type of experience without a ship, without a boat, <laughs> up and down, tossing and turning on the waves of, of happiness and, and distress, not knowing them both to be uh, two sides of the same, same coin. The yoga says it wants to steady the boat, so to speak, speak, and says, do the things that you do that are essential to your upkeep, and that'll be different for different people, of course. But do it by cultivating detachment from the fruits of your work, from the result. This simple act, it's not so easy to do, but easy to talk about, to forego attachment to the result of one's work in terms of that being what constitutes meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and so forth. This kind of takes the heart out. It takes the, it takes the fang, if you will, out of the of, of, of the serpent. It takes the sting out of the bee. You can work and move in the world in such a way that constitutes more of something obligatory, kind of dutiful. Um, I'm in this situation. I shall do like this. He's ethically sound about it. It's possible. And be as good at it as I can be as well. Hmm? But, hmm, but I'm not doing it for... Uh, my, my focus is not require or to avoid I know there will be things that I acquire I know there will be things that I that I don't get and I try to keep it even heal and look beyond the fruits of the action and just look at the action itself which uh, kind of a kind of a you know Buddhist eightfold noble path type of willy yoga, we have the same thing. We have the yamas and the yamas and, uh, for example, in Ashtanga yoga and so forth. Uh, I, have a, I have family, so I have obligations to my family, but, but I'm factoring in wisdom here to my actions. I'm realizing that you know, I'm a mother, but I was a child. I'll be a child again. And all this is changing. So I'm factoring in this, this wisdom. I'm factoring in the wisdom that, well, I want enduring life. I can't get it in relation to things that don't endure. Hmm? Even the idea that I'm a mother, and these are my children, I should be the best possible mother. Hmm? But that's only what I am for the moment. Hmm? All right? 
So if I look, if I look at this this life unto itself and try to make the Academy Award-winning movie, that that's not going to be possible. You got to look at the whole, all the what do you call it? You know, all the little parts of the film. We get one frame only. Hmm? Trying to make the one thing. If you look at the whole thing, hmm? the bigger, you're talking about the bigger, bigger picture. It doesn't mean that I will interact with others in an uncaring way, let's say to be best in your field and, uh, you know, whatever, and most loving parents, most best children, as may be the case and so forth. But there's a bigger picture. When I'm not, that my, my life will not be fulfilled by anything that I acquire. Hmm? Or anything that I necessarily avoid you know, for, for the moment. Hmm? So this is what Krishna means when he talks about karma and he adds to it the word yoga. Karma, yoga. Karma and yoga. Yoga means here that out of the action that is karma to take out the taking spirit within the action hmm. easier said than done in the previous time when the Gita was spoken there was a certain social system that made it easier and had defined responsibilities for people with different dispositions and so forth hmm. and um, but in a general sense this is the kind of the way in which the Gita seeks to wean us from a life of taking because we're we we're active. We can't just sit now and go look at a blank wall and say, stop thinking. Swami said, you know, that I, the self can't be known by thinking, so I'm going to stop thinking. It's, yeah, well, it's not so easy to do. And acting, and, and what, what, so how to, how to continue to act, so to speak, to interact, but not in a way that will be implicate me being in a life of suffering. So this is this idea is meant to then kind of as I say, steady the boat. Now we're not tossing and turning or steady the water. There's there's a kind of a knowing that I live with that yeah, a great thing just happened. Wow. I could celebrate it with others but I shouldn't invest too much in it. Uh, again, you, the greatest thing that could happen to you materially could be the worst thing that happens to you in due course. Right? You just met the man of your dreams, and then you turn into something much different than turned into a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It's possible. So unless you're kind of ready for that, live with that in mind. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the spirit of what he's talking about in the Gita. And the idea here is that what? That knowledge, knowing is different and the opposite, really, of having. The life of having, the pursuit of having, is ignorance. It's, just, it's, it's There's an I that arises out of my sense of what is mine, and that I is as false as the sense that, that anything belongs to me and that I can keep anything. So what's going to happen is as the as the taking is taken out of the action, 
eventually action itself is going to slow down also. Hmm? So we move from an active life in karma to jnana in knowledge to ultimately a contemplative life. So now you do some sitting, right? We're sitting. Don't just do something. Sit there. When I was a kid, it was don't just sit there, do something. So, Eastern influences considerable in the West. Don't just do something, sit there. It's not so easy, but but this kind of insight, then you can move in that direction and find start to find more if you will that I am <coughs> this is the whole idea of yoga in one sense that there's a self that's, that's independent of the brain consciousness you can't find it in the brain more and more today articles can get burned somebody else does it you're like got some data you don't touch the fire again that's science so but unfortunately, what happened, in one sense, was that science born as a Christian uh, became an agnostic, hmm? a deist, and then an agnostic, thinking, oh, we figured out how nature works, and there's no place for like any kind of intervention from outside of the system. Hmm. So, well, maybe God set it up like a clock, and now he's just not involved in it. We don't believe in miracles, intervention, and so forth. This move, then moved to agnosticism, and now science is like science is like now like like a young man. <laughs> I can take over the world. I'm about ready to take over the world. <laughs> Some of us are not young boys or ladies anymore, <laughs> so we're a little wiser. I was uh, so much uh, younger than, older than that. So, it's now become an atheist, largely. Mm-hmm. That's the dominant theme. But if it, it is to endure into old age, it will have to become a mystic. Mysticism is really the meeting between, it's the resolution, solution to religious dogma hmm, that is at odds with its own heart the Jews crucified you know Jesus <laughs> it was like from a Christian perspective well Jesus was the Messiah hmm, amongst the Jewish people and the Jewish people couldn't recognize their own religion if you will the essence of it the heart of it manifesting in the form of, of the Christ who said give up everything and having is not being wait a minute you're doing religion for having hmm? this is the common idea of religion let's do religion so we can have more you mean how much boring to God that would be you are more than things and you're asking me for things that's your interest in me is interest in things only not much interest. When I was young, we used to go to India, 
and they were in, 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 in Vrindavan village where Krishna is, is famous and we, we go in the shops and there would be all kinds of things for our spiritual practice and so forth which is cool because it was, wasn't like that you know in the streets of L.A. <laughs> and so we would shop buy things and uh, next year around I found the picture of my guru was in a number of shops. I thought, wow, they, they like my guru. I'll shop there. <laughs> yeah, they like my guru. <laughs> they like my business, is the idea. This is the general idea of religion, right? for things. Better invoke God, his name, his mantra, his picture, whatever, so that I can have more things. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's not real endearing, if you will, to our source. It doesn't really turn, turn God on. You want things? You're not a thing. So we went from having, right? There's a, so there's a whole greater world of religious pursuit that's largely about having or like taking it all with me when I go. My dog and cat will be there, my family... Everybody somehow stays the age I want them to be. And so, so, so this is religion. And then you have this, this dogmatic scientific perspective that, that just has a... Just like the question, one of the big questions of science is, is what is the biological basis for consciousness? This is one of the big unanswered questions. Of course, there's a premise there that's false to begin with. There's a bias that's built into the question. Who says that consciousness has a biological base? No wonder you can't find it. No wonder it's one of your big questions. Maybe it's not. Oh, no, you can't think like that. That is thing. You're crazy. You're a lunatic. Yeah, we are a little crazy. That's not so bad. So, yoga is a little... For crazy people. Mm. Crazy, crazy about Krishna? Mm. <laughs> crazy about, uh, about meaning, purpose, value, and so forth. So, this, you have the one side, this, and if I just want to religion and, and science and so forth. Mysticism is, 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 is the place where religion becomes beautiful. You, know? you don't find these kind of killing in the name of Jesus or Muhammad or, 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 or you take the Gita Gita is, is not a book about believing as much as it is a book about the nature of being science is about the nature of being what's out there these are the two questions what's out there and who or what is looking at it What's out there? Who's asking the question? Are they both the same? Is matter and consciousness one? They sure are different. One has inherent meaning, the other has none. Anyway, so, the scientists to become, living the old age, I would say, you have to become a mystic. 
these ideas that we're sharing from the Gita have been around a long time, as we said in the beginning, and they're pertinent. Hmm? It's not just an old book on a shelf, and it seeks at first the Gita to take us from the vacuous sense of being derived from a life of having and taking to a more robust, profound sense of self that's full in self without having to take. So moving from the active life of acquisition with the knowing that the enduring life I want will never be experienced in relation to things that don't endure. Not possible. Whoa. I'm going to sit down. Think about that for a minute. Mm. And my whole thinking is about things. Can I be used in another way? Mm. And turn inward to a life of not taking. Now that sounds pretty beautiful. Mm. We're moving from the ignorance of taking and the false eye that derives from unbecoming and false eye comes from that. Mm to a sense of self that is not a taker. You could be even a breatharian. Though. How little taking. A breath every... I don't know how long they, how often they do it. <laughs> Something like that. What I want to say is that yoga, really, an essential spiritual life, which we could call yoga in terms of it being a pursuit, hmm? which there may be different types, but... Is, is, is the effort, the attempt to, to demonstrate that consciousness is not matter for all intents and purposes. That they're, that they're, that they're, you, know, you can meet people who say, like to me, for example, you don't watch television? Like, that's weird. <laughs> How can you possibly... How can you live without it? Something like that. It's almost like that. I'm just giving a crude example. How can you? There's a lot of things you can live without. So the more and more you live without is the more you're living within. Hmm? In a yoga context. And the more you're living within, the more you're starting to demonstrate that there's something more than things. And it's me. Hmm? Now, the body has to die. That's a fact. But again, if you unscrew the light bulb, that's not the end of electricity. Hmm? It's a given. Everything's changing materially, so body's going to change, hmm? and so forth. But within this life, the yogi, the yogi, if people would pay attention, really demonstrates in many respects to the extent that we have to pay attention really that there that, that consciousness there's a sense of I that exists independent of of matter it's living without taking other than minimal necessity to maintain the body which if everybody did, which they're not, but that would certainly solve the economic problem. Mm-hmm. That would certainly solve the, the um, 
environmental problems, right? It would solve the political problems, too. But it's not practical. <laughs> it's a, I can't do that. Some people might still be identified with this idea. Right? You should pursue it. Don't be intimidated by the world. Stay close to, to, the, to the central idea of the Gita. What you will reap from that will be yourself and its prospect. Now, we've talked about having. We're talking about now knowing. If I know, if I sense there's more to me than what meets the eye and the mind, than things and thoughts, and that thoughts are just passing, things are coming and going, I want enduring life, I can't have it in relation to things that don't endure, I should go within, know myself, I stop taking. Knowing, the sense of being derived from knowing, in the sense of knowing that I'm talking about, is very is, is enduring. It's not based on attachment to things that are here today, they have gone tomorrow. It's based on not experiencing something out there, but the fact that I am a, a unit of experience. If someone was to ask me, what's the most profound experience you've had in life, I would say, in one sense, on a lower level, I would say, the fact that I experience. That's me. That's different. You understand? That's like, wow. I'm a unit of experiential reality. Hmm? And there's non-experiential experiential reality. I'm different than that. How different? Like, really different. <laughs> and it's not reasonable to think that experience will arise out of non-experience. That <laughs> I'm a unit of experiential reality means that I'm ontologically I'm real. I'm 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 something that that's that's, that's different from non-experiencing reality. That's me. So this is enough to just like sit down. Well, right. Playful right now to deal with. Because you know, make spiritual life as exciting. Instead of going to sleep at church or something like that. <laughs> From having uh, to knowing and knowing yourself. I just solved all the problems <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so solve them for yourself is the, is the point. Solve them for yourself. And, you know, and then you can be an example to others. We need more mystics. Obviously, still they'll always be the minority. But, but still, they are the people that will never go away. Hmm? They stand like lighthouses pointing to the shore to us, drift adrift in the ocean of ups and downs, of, of happiness and distress based on attachment, like lighthouses. There's land. There's land. Hmm? Not only is there land, a beach, 
there's vegetation, there's all kinds. It's like it's incredible. What lies within the pot, in the realm of consciousness compared to the physical realm? It's the real world. The meditative world it is the real world. And what possibilities can be found there? All those things, that perfection that we see, correct? The touchdown at the last minute, the swish, the, the basketball, that's can be found there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is really enticing idea. And all I've done is stop taking, in a sense. Stop taking. Now, we move from having karma to knowing which is being to what? to loving now not taking is part of loving that's true but it's not the whole thing what would be better? to love to exist which the way I was just talking about a knowing existence, I think I would love to exist like that. We'd love to exist like that. Just, it sounds great. Hmm? Loving to exist. But what is better? This is a very bold question. The Gita really asks us. Loving to exist, having understood that my existence based on having is not about loving at all, hmm? It's not very beautiful. It's quite unbecoming. It's a bit embarrassing, actually. Now I've come into a sense of being that's wise, and I'm loving it. Hmm? Something like that. Loving to exist. But what is better, loving to exist or existing to love? It's an easy question. Hmm? Suddenly... A life of not taking has started to sound somewhat like a life of taking. There's some selfish element to it. You follow me? I'm not taking. But I'm not giving either. I'm giving up. I'm giving up taking and I'm becoming free as a result of that. Everyone wants freedom. Freedom to do nothing. (laughs) Freedom to do nothing. But is there something worth doing? Taking is not something worth doing. Hmm? Not doing is better, but is there anything worth doing that is called loving? Hmm? You understand? And in loving, as we're talking about it, there is doing and there is knowing. In karma, there's only doing. There's not much knowing. Hmm? When we come to knowledge, we stop doing. We stop moving in the relation of things that don't endure. Hmm? We're sitting now. Hmm? One has canceled out the other. But in love, both things are active. Are, 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 are present. There's knowing and there's also movement. Hmm? There's labor. 
but we'll go, we don't want labor. We just want to be free. Mm -hmm. That this is labor. There's a labor of love. Mm -hmm. That's a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So the Gita is very, very theistic. In the first six chapters, it's all about the self, what you are. You're amazing, as we said. The second six chapters, middle six chapters, the theology of the Gita. Krishna starts talking about himself there. It sounds like a little self-centered. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just talking about giving up self-centeredness and so on. How he's talking about lack. He ought to read the first six chapters <laughs> back there. He's really kind of like a self-centered guy. Uh, but actually it's not true. The only reason that Krishna is talking about himself, he's not, in the middle six chapters, he's really not talking about himself. Everything comes from me. Everything rests upon me like pearls on a thread. What do you mean he's not talking about himself? Hmm? You cannot cross over Maya without me. What do you mean he's not talking about himself? He's not. He's talking about bhakti. But bhakti means love. And in, in he just happens to be the perfect object of love, the heart of divinity. Hmm? So he has to talk about himself, and he's going to talk about bhakti. There's no meaning to love, but there's no object of love. Hmm? So he, he, he's talking, you read carefully, he's talking about his devotees, what they're like, and how, how he's moved by them. Hmm? In the middle six chapters, John uh, Mitra, he likes to say, Just do devotion to me. Fix your mind on me. Manmana. Manmana. Make your mind on me. Madhava. Madhbhakto. Become devoted to me. It's a simple thing he's saying. I just happen to be what I am. What am I? I'm completely sold out to my devotees. People in the world, they just want to have. Some of them ask me to improve their having. Okay. Understand? People want to take, want to acquire. Some of them become religious, so they ask me, can you help me out? I want to acquire. Okay, at least they're talking to me. <laughs> the conversation. Okay, I'll start somewhere. Other people become wise. They don't want to take, they don't want to ask for something. They want to be eternal. They want to live forever. And not have to do anything. Hmm? Okay, that's wise, but it's not really... Can have a whole lot to do with me. I'm eternal. Okay, they're eternal. We want to experience it. Okay, you want to be. You want to love to be. That's lovable. Mm -hmm. But what about me? <laughs> what am I? Mm -hmm. 
Hi, Krishna. I'm like the stomach. What can I do? It's the one part of the body that all the food should be given to. What happens when all the food goes to the stomach? What does the stomach do with it? Does it just keep it? It transforms it in a way that it can go to every part of the body. Mm -hmm. The stomach has to say, feed me, feed me. But when saying that, he's feeding up for the benefit of the whole body. If you want to water a tree, a lot of leaves, a lot of fruits, it's a hot day, where are you going to pour the water? On On the root, right? Hey, the tree's like this. You're pouring the water down there. Your child may say, it's a hot day. Look, the tree's leaves are drying up. And you're pouring water in the ground with the tree. You should pour the water up. Hmm? No. There's a root. Hmm? There's a stomach. And there's a center. If there's to be love, there has to be an object of love. We try to love in this world, but the objects kept disappearing or transforming before our eyes. My dream turned into a nightmare. My Prince Charming turned into a couch potato. Problem. So, okay. I want to be, I'm going to stop loving. Try that. Been there. I'm done. I'm done loving. I'm just going to be. Be wise about it. Hmm? But the self, not only does it be, not only does it exist, sat, and not subject to transformation like birth and death. Not only does it be, does it exist. Not only is it knowing, hmm? but it has really purpose, loving, and capacity, some capacity to love, some potential to love. So if this, it sat, chit, and ananda, you could have a non knowing an unknowing existence you cannot have a knowing that doesn't exist you could have a knowing existence but it might not be a loving existence but if you have loving you have to have knowing and existing also So the ananda aspect, in one sense of the self, is the most important. Hmm? Knowing and being are included within it. Hmm? There are aspects of the Godhead that correspond with our being, like Brahman. Our knowing, like Ishwara, in Yoga Sutra. And then there are aspects of the God that correspond with our capacity, potential love. We heard about him in the beginning. Hmm? Krishna, right? The speaker of the Gita is the heart within Hinduism, Eastern mysticism of the divinity. Hmm? In the middle chapters of the Gita, he's not speaking about himself. He's speaking about his devotees and how, how 
how they're how he's purchased by them. Hmm? All this sophisticated stuff that comes down says just look at my devotees, Arjuna, just be like them. Just think of me, become my devotee. Everything's accomplished. Hmm? How do you love? Love of God, this is an abstract idea. Vita makes it very concrete. Krishna says, you take an image of me, how do you love anybody? If you think, hey, you and I, we've got something in common. You want to go out for lunch? <laughs> what do you think? Not a better line, maybe, but... <laughs> so, so, take my image and invite me out to lunch. <laughs> but you don't need to eat. That's true. Hmm? Therefore, just offer me a leaf. Hatram. Pushbam. A flower. Toyam. Hmm? Some water. With bhakti. Somebody asked me, how does Krishna, how does Krishna eat? Problem. I said, in bhakti there's no waste. It's not a problem. It's highly digestible also. Hmm? Highly digestible. In other words, bhakti yoga is showing the very practical, how you love anybody. And the beautiful thing about Krishna in the Gita is that in, amongst the amongst the, the different faces of the Godhead, all which are meaningful and important, the beautiful thing about Krishna, in one sense, is that in relation to Krishna, you can love, it's how practical, just like you love anybody else, not just how you love God. You see what I mean? If you love God, it's like this. You're over there, I'm over here. If I said I was God and you believed me, you'd say, Oh my God. And you back a little bit. <laughs> right? So that's love of God, the Greek you know, agape. What about Eros? Well, that's just for the material world. Christian says, No, it's not. Hmm? You know the love stories about Krishna and Nukmaids and so forth? Somebody asked me, Swami, I've heard those leelas about Krishna. With all the with Radha and all that stuff. And I want to know, he said, is there any real sex life in that realm? I mean, real sex life? <laughs> I said, no, you don't understand. There's no real sex life here. There's <laughs> only shadow. Our attempts to love here are in the shadows. Hmm? Because, and they're problematic because they're they're not they're not centered. Hmm? If you want to have perfect love, you have to have two things. You have to give without any expectation of return. Hmm? But in order to do that, you have to be able to give it somewhere where that object can take unlimitedly. If you were to give unlimitedly, the object to which you give has to be able to take unlimitedly. I could give unlimitedly to you. As I physically, but that'll be gone <laughs> at some point. How much can you take? 
again, the roots, the stomach, right? Can take, digest, spread. Hmm? So, to love, we need the perfect opportunity to love, but it cannot be physical. Something that's here today and gone tomorrow. So, in the realm of consciousness, there has to be a significant other, if you will. Hmm? Krishna's a good candidate for that. <laughs> Therefore, we find the real forces of the world are are the forces of parental love. It's a pretty big force in the world, right? Romantic love. It's a very big force in the world. Fraternal love. Brotherly love. Sisterly love. That's hmm? a force in the world. And also, uh, you know, the love of... Uh, let's say, uh, the student and the teacher, you know, in a, in a wholesome sense. Mm-hmm. In Sanskrit, uh, we call this madhurya, romantic love, vatsalya, parental love, sakya, friendly love, dasya, servile love. Mm-hmm. This is what the world is all about. It's not about electromagnetic forces, strong and weak, nuclear energy and gravity and real forces of life that we're all moving under the influence of Ardasya, Sakya, Vatsali, Madhurya hmm? the teaching of the Gita if you look carefully at it is that you can have all these things in relation with the perfect object of love in the world of consciousness and where to do that is start now so how do you do that? how do you love God, so let's say, if Krishna is like a lovable form of God, the Buddha is really smart, but he's not like that. He's kind of like off to himself, under the tree there, being quiet, not taking anything. Mm-hmm. And that's all really good, but he doesn't present himself. Even Christ, you know, on the cross, it's, a, it's the, like the Godhead sacrificing. It's like, kind of, that's the way it's described. And, and and it's it's wow, it kind of gets your emotions like you watch Mel Gibson's movie like guilt. Oh my god, he did that for me. Mm, I better, you know, do something for him. <laughs> touching your touching your emotions. Hmm? And I'm, I don't want to be crude about it. I mean there's beautiful forms of Christian mysticism and so forth. But in Krishna, this particular face of the Godhead. And this is not like sectarian. All these faces are for all of us. They're all out there. Hmm? Just to look at them and what, see what they say, what they're saying. This is what the face of Krishna is saying. And if you want to love as you love now, friends, children that you love, your lovers, that's possible in relation to me, in transcendence having passed through taking, coming to knowing. Hmm? You're going to enter into loving if your approach to giving up taking and your approach to knowing is within the orbit of of bhakti itself. In other words, bhakti yoga can free us from the taking. Hmm? Bhakti yoga can give us knowing and bhakti yoga can give us loving and how we love it things are very practical take an image of me offer things to me how do you love anybody else bring them gifts it's very simple not because negotiating I'm going to give you this and hope you're going to give me something back but so there are many 
there's much to bhakti yoga. There's one aspect of bhakti yoga, archan, the image of Krishna. Another practical thing, Krishna says in the Gita, satatam kirtayantonam. He talks about his devotees. They're always doing kirtan. About me. I mean, that's what we do. When you sing a song, or when you hear a song, you know, you interpret it your own way, right? For the most part. What it means to you, and, you know, probably 80% of them are about, about, um, well, Bob Dylan was all about <laughs> loving people, you know. I mean, he's good too. <laughs> it was all, you know, bebop and, and, and uh, those are the kinds of music, <laughs> but uh, popular music. So anyway, lo- music is very—it's a way in which people express love, right? Through song, through dance. We were sitting and being; it was good. Hmm? We weren't moving in relation to having because it was problematic. The question is: Is there any movement in transcendence? If you're full, why move? Because you could be so full that you had to move and dance. That is Leela. Hmm? You see, this Leela and Karma, they look similar. Krishna Leela looks like Karma. But to get to Leela, you have to cross through the, into the knowing hmm? and enter into the movement in, within Within, within the realm of consciousness. Mm-hmm. What possibilities lie there, you said earlier? You can admit that. Mm-hmm. And there's possibility, the point is for loving. Mm-hmm. So this idea of bhakti. Mm-hmm. Simple. If you love someone, you sing their name, you hear a song, you're thinking about it, mm-hmm. in relation to the person that you love, or you would like to love. It's very practical. So this, he says... They're always chanting about me. There are people like this. And the idea is that this chanting has two effects. For example, Kirtan of Krishnanam. And he has a different name, like Govinda, like Ram, Krishna, and so forth. It's Kirtan. It has an effect of, as I said earlier, thieves don't care for locked doors and high walls. There were two policemen in India, they were having a conversation. One said, you know, it's really a problem that our God, Krishna, is a thief. Because in Alila, he's stealing butter and yogurt, and he's quite a mischievous uh, person. Hmm? And the other cop said, that's the whole problem. <laughs> we're trying to tell people not to steal, and our God's a thief. The other guy said, no, you don't understand. Hmm? Thieves don't care for high walls and locked doors, and that's exactly what we've erected around our heart. Mm-hmm. In the form of his name, he enters the heart, even if we don't want him to go there. Mm-hmm. It goes anyway. Mm-hmm. And what does he do there? He opens a shop. Inside the heart, there are so many shops. Multinational corporations are <laughs> set up in there. That's where they are. Advertising. Buy me, buy me, buy me. Hmm? But Krishna Nam, the name of Krishna in Kirtan, goes into the heart. And what does he do? He sets the shop. What is he selling? Brooms. Brooms? <laughs> okay, yeah, you got to keep your place clean, but I mean, I got these multinational corporations competing for my attention. You're selling brooms? Try them. 
They're magic brooms. Magic brooms I'm selling. No such thing as a magic broom. Take one. How much? Just take it. What does the kirtan cost? Just do it. Hmm? We do it for no cost. Hmm? Those that have feeling for it, they can't stop doing it. This is kirtan, talking about Krishna. Hmm? If you have feeling for it, it will go into your heart. You've been listening with your head. If I can arrest your head, then I can go into your heart. Operate for that. Hmm? These are the, the words of Krishna. The name goes there. Hmm? Selling brooms. You take it. Okay, I take it. Take it. And it's magic. Sweeping, what happens? The dust, the material ignorance, attachments, so starts to come off. And something very brilliant, the ground of being that I'm part of starts to shine and just a tiny tiny spark of that overshadows all the multinational corporations put together all the billboards and all the advertising and all the psychological manipulations they're all just ground out when you enter the kirtan the right spirit and the good guidance and so forth you can go you can get a glimpse hmm? and nothing else is important Mm-hmm. You can experience an eternal. You can experience it. Mm-hmm. What to look for? You can look for this or that. What will happen to me? I'll become more this or that. When you start to feel, I'm eternal. I felt I was eternal. There was a feeling I got. It's not from this world. It's blissful. It's me. Something of the ananda that I'm constantly developing. I had a taste of that. There's nothing like it in the world. It went away, but I have to go back and get another broom or something. <laughs> Keep sweeping. So this is the first thing, sweeping, sweeping, sweeping. Hmm? And all the having and that pursuit is all looks, looks like silly in comparison. Hmm? Foolish. And knowing what I am. But not only that I be, but I have a prospect to love. Hmm? And so the two things happen. One thing... The dust is clean. What is the self-esteem experience? And then what is the prospect? And what happens is one becomes attached to the name of Krishna. Hmm? Some people, they can't stop the chanting. They can't stop. The tongue is moving. The heart has been captured. Hmm? And they're living and breathing going for this. Hmm? Month is always going. It has this kind of power. Just like if, if you've ever been to India and got jaundice, the Ayurveda cure for jaundice is sugar cane, which is very sweet. If we have jaundice, it tastes very bitter. But if you keep eating the, jo- the sugar cane, the jaundice, the bitterness of material life and attachment will go away. And the sweetness that was always there in the name will come out. There's a point in bhakti where the medicine becomes food. Do you understand? You, you, you watch your clock. Is it time to take medicine? But nobody says, nobody forgets to take lunch. So, all right, I forgot 
take my medicine. Because I forgot to eat today. I'll get up here tomorrow. Hmm? Not like that, right? So there's a point where bhakti will be medicine, or any spiritual practice, sadhana, it's like medicine. Hmm? But you have to have wisdom to take the medicine. There's a good doctor who says, look, you need the medicine. Let me explain it to you. Hmm? Give so much reason, support, and so forth. Tries to inspire you. Just take the medicine. It didn't work for me. Give it some time. Take the medicine. Hmm? You have to, it's a worldview. You have to understand the teaching. And you think, I believe that. That made sense. She said that, and that resonated with me. That was true. I know that. You have to make that part of your life. Hmm? And then it mandates that you're going to do something. Is it, according to our orientation to life, conceptually, certain action is going to come out of that. So when you, when I, if I can corner you, <laughs> philosophically, so to speak, then there's nothing you have left to do but bhakti. Hmm? Except when nobody's around, but then you realize there's always somebody around. <laughs> hmm? My object of worship is, is universal. Hmm? I may close the door and be myself, but I'm not. Hmm? Somebody said to me, Swami, I think the kirtan is nice, but I think that spiritual life should be private. And this is very public. An Indian man. I said, spiritual life, there should be no difference between the public and private life. We act one way at the yoga sangha, another way somewhere else <laughs> that should be changed mm-hmm. and it's so it's important these to read the Gita you have these type of discussions you may be grounded your intellect will be arrested mm-hmm. and then your mind and your senses your actions will follow that and the time as the heart becomes cleansed then you find attachment suddenly become beautiful because you're attached to something that's not temporal. Hmm? And an identity grows out of attachment. Just like we have an I that was derived from our false sense of my. Hmm? You can't own anything, but you can own Krishna. You can completely control Krishna. That's an incredible idea. That's what he's saying in the ninth chapter. I'm, I'm controlled by my devotees. Don't fault them, he said, even if they're imperfect. Hmm? I love them. I'll do anything for them. Hmm. Bhakti. What is making Brahman the great source specific like this, small? What is making that which is everywhere able to move? How can you be everywhere and move? Leela is moving. Bhakti is doing that. Hmm? Bhakti. Love. We approach God for things. All right. For eternity. Oh, okay. For hmm? so what, what? What's on your mind? I <laughs> got my attention. All right. So this is this is what bhakti does. I mean, if you if you love someone, they will tell you all the secrets. They cannot help it. That's it. If you love someone. They will tell you all their secrets. They're nothing, nothing hidden. Hmm? 
to bhakti, she, hmm? Radha. This is the secret that controls Krishna. <laughs> Krishna is a controller. Yeah, yeah. None of you know him well. You know him well enough, you see. He's completely... It means he's taken a form. If the, if the finite and the infinite are to come close together, then the infinite has to take upon a finite-like appearance. Otherwise, you'll think, I'm next to the infinite. I really feel how finite I am. How can we... If we get close, this is Krishna. The infinite has a finite-like form. It's not finite. Finite-like. And we hear the leelas of Krishna. We hear the leelas of the stories from somebody who has experience speaking about them. And you find yourself bonding with certain stories because he's just like us. Always like that. Hmm? Always like that. Hmm? Human life is the form of the God that you can really bond with very naturally. Hmm? Because love is love. So fraternal love is fraternal love. Romantic love is romantic love. Romantic love for Krishna has all the nuances of, uh, of, 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 of uh, so-called romantic love, if you will. We have some semblance of an experience of what this idea of transcendence is like, so it's easy to bond with. Hmm? The Krishna form of God, you can bond with every emotional aspect of your material being. You can bond with it. Hmm? It's not hard. Hmm? Always like us. That, I get it. All the philosophy is you know, it's like simply explained by your own experience. So, this is the message of the Gita. And I appreciate the opportunity to have a chance to share it with you. What's the time? Did we go long? We went a little long. Uh, sorry with me, I don't know. You might be. Want to say something? Oh, I just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, okay. That was wonderful. Thank you, Mary. Um, personally, I need to go do some motherhood things. And, um, but I'm very happy to let anyone you know, ask questions as much as Swami really wants to like keep talking that was pretty long which was awesome I feel like we got like an exceptional treat with that um, and if the staff wouldn't mind closing this video please for me because I'm going to have the pleasure of having dinner with you in a few hours but I just need to get the children and the husband on board okay thank you everyone Thank you. So, yeah, we can answer a couple questions. Jordan. Yes. You describe mysticism as the experience of that one is not the brain. So, have you, had, have you personally had this experience? And so, please tell, tell us about it. Yes, I have experience. Yes, regularly. But um, to say that 
that one has experienced that they're eternal, there's really not a lot that you can say about it other than that. In other words, to understand it, which is what you're seeking to do, is is really uh, to experience it, to be compelled enough by the what, what can be said about something that's ineffable, if you will, to take up a practice by which you'll be afforded the experience. Um, but that's it. Um, there's a great uh, a sense of, of relief, you can imagine, in experiencing that you're not the brain, or that you're not physical, which would mean that you that you've experienced you have no beginning, you have no end. The amount of happiness or bliss that could be derived from knowing that uh, let's take for example let's say you were diagnosed with cancer and the doctor said you've got like one month to live it's really bad wow that's now you've got to go tell your family and your friends and everything right so it's, it's a pretty heavy you're, you're carrying a very heavy burden and then, and then uh, suddenly you get a call from the from the doctor, from the nurse, and says, "Actually, uh, it was somebody else's file we were looking at. It wasn't yours." <laughs> now I'm just trying to give an example. The relief that you would experience would just be like, how can you put it in words? It would be just a tremendous amount of relief that you could just dwell in for a moment and. And, and and similarly, so to to to, to experience that, that that even that there is an end to the entirety of material suffering is blissful. You want to know what it's like to experience that you that you have no beginning, no end, that you are not part of that which is con- 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 constrained by time and by space and all the implications of that. There are considerable, when we're talking about implications of being constrained by time and space, we're talking about things being non-eternal and an identity <coughs> derived from non-eternal things, well, it's problematic. It's, it's an existence was pervaded on, on, on a very visceral level with some gnawing kind of anxiety, mm-hmm. um, fear. Mm-hmm. So now you can wear a shirt that says no fear, you know, jump from one building to another or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you wanted to take that you know, to another level, not only another level, level but Categorically different uh, sense of experience, ending all fear. Just knowing, I should say, experientially, that there is an end. Someone may not 
know it in the sense of having fully realized it, but someone could also know it by experience, and that would drive their pursuit of it that much more. In other words, one can enter, let's say, a state of samadhi and come back out, and come back, in, and come back out. And after a while, stay in more than been out, or coming out only for the purposes of within and so forth. So, in one, in, in, in one sense, it's a huge um, experience relief. There's a kind of a negative bliss. This isn't the bliss of, of, of bhakti per se, but um, bliss of the self. Um, it, 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 it makes the world of worries, concerns, pursuits just evaporate. Just you totally evaporate. Like they just have absolutely no. There's no. They have no bearing on me whatsoever. And 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 there's there there may be a condition in which one. Materially speaking, just to give an example, but it weeps out of joy. To weep out of joy. So there may be symptoms also that occur, physical symptoms that correspond with the, the experience as well. The symptoms of of the of the uh, I want to say the ecstasy of the self and how it plays out in the, the physical uh, form that the yogin finds himself or herself within. Um, and also a kind of knowing, a kind of knowing that it's not a knowing everything. I don't know how to build a, a jet plane. But a kind of knowing that that gives one the confidence that there's there's nothing um, else worth knowing. So it satisfies one's sense of wanting to be. Things obviously being, knowing, loving, they're all what consciousness is about. It's very difficult to talk about consciousness because there's nothing that's like, because it's not a thing, there's nothing to compare it to, or what you come up with a definition. Hmm? Definitions are based on comparisons. So, but these words have been used. Subject, being, being means being not subject to, 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 to transformation, like everything else is knowing, and that is what kind of knowing. And this, in a rudimentary sense, of it, really, uh, no. 
Ananda from Bhakti, that's, that's, that's another thing that's further developed. Anything else? Yes. Well, I good question. Um, when I was I was raised as a Catholic, my parents sent me to school for Jesuits. I thought, when I learned about religion, I thought, oh, I guess I should be a priest. So if you're going to do it, I kind of thought you got to do it. You know? That was kind of my thinking. And then I went to school with the Jesuits, but I was disappointed with their uh, character, at least the ones I met. And so um, when I left high school, that was in 1967, then you know what the world was like then so I I guess I was always seeking searching so I I, I searched within the um, alternative alternative uh, community of, uh, at, at the time and um, I found uh, it to be a little bit um, false like I went to the Woodstock Festival, for example, and that's where I first met the devotees of Krishna in 1969. When I went there, um, when I got there, uh, it had been announced that it was a free concert because there were so many people. But then some of the people who had bought tickets were selling tickets (laughs) to people who came in. <laughs> All that love and peace. <laughs> that was on the way in, I thought, hmm. So those kind of things kind of, you know, always struck a chord with me. Like, I don't know if we're going to find what we're looking for here. Thing, so, so um, yeah, I, I can't say there's one particular uh, point, but um, the help. Shortly after I found my, my guru and so on. Okay, so nice to meet with you all. Thank you very much. Thank you.